You're supposed to open the beer when I say three, two, one. That was like the worst we've ever screwed up the theme song. Come on, Chris. That was a pretty bad theme song. Yeah. I gotta admit. All right. Welcome to A Drink to the Past, the only podcast where we can screw up our theme song every week if we wanted to. Or if we didn't want to. We'd probably screw it up anyways. It, uh, it honestly we, doesn't matter. Yeah. I didn't open my beer because one of my beers is already open because I forgot to finish it before I left for man practice, apparently. So, hooray! Uh, I have more beer. And also today on Sean Drinks Something Stupid, uh, I have a Tabasco bottle, which is scorpion pepper Tabasco, and tequila. That sounds like a terrible idea, doesn't it? Yes. So, (laughs) scorpion pepper sauce and tequila, uh, which is my uh, punishment or celebration, depending on which way you want to look at it, for... uh, passing 300 followers on twitter so go me so uh get me up to 400 followers then i'll do something even dumber i got ghost pepper sauce too and then using twitter dumber than using twitter or dumber than drinking tequila and uh tabasco this is not honestly going to be the stupidest thing we've ever drunk on the podcast so so do we want to own up about uh the, uh, the the slight oops that happened last week. Yeah, if you didn't notice, there was a. Uh, I, I think I probably tweeted about that already. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Because uh, yeah, so sorry about last week, everybody who pays attention. Um, we recorded uh, almost our entire podcast. Talked, had a great conversation for an hour and forty minutes or so, and uh, some nudnik behind the curtain forgot to uh record the audio for uh one of the uh hosts uh so hopefully that won't happen again yes i i did a sound check this week so uh it should be working (laughs) so anyways um my name is sean michael patrick thompson as always host a drink to the past uh and this is my co-host hi i'm chris uh Flapper girl Audette, not actually a girl. Or, but are you a flapper? I'm, I'm not a flapper either. I mean, like that. The time the ship has sailed. That was like, I guess it is the 20s again. True. But uh, I actually do not want to dress up in drag. Okay. Well, I'm not. Not, not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. Just not your cup of. Just not my cup and of spork, scorpion pepper, sporky yeah. and pepper. Sporking and pepper, yeah. Well, that must be hotter than I thought it was, because I'm like, I feel like I'm getting like almost tearing up already. Although it might be something else, I don't know. Maybe I'm just tired. Maybe you're just stupid. Maybe you're just proud of America. I don't know. I'm so proud, so proud. Anyways, uh, so bottoms up for um, getting up 300 followers on Twitter. Uh, So follow me at spamomanospam, and if you get me up to 400 followers, then again I'll drink something. Something weird like this again. I don't know exactly what, because I don't imagine that will probably happen for a little while. But uh, hey, you know, three hundred is something, probably. Yeah. <laughs> it it's literally something. It is. Tequila does like nothing to compensate for the heat. Usually, I have this stuff. I put it on eggs, and it's like not all that bad. The tequila might even make it hotter. Wow. 
So, I think it has something to do with the fat contained in it. Fat in the tequila or the Tabasco? In the uh, eggs. Like the fat in the eggs probably uh, chills out the heat a bit. Probably, yeah, because I'll put like two drops on each egg or something and kind of you know, rub it around with my fork so it's a little spread around. And then, and then it's, you know, covered in egg goop and deliciousness and stuff. So then it's not too bad. But um, pretty good hit there. Not too bad. Um, since I like showing off my glassware, this is one of my Great American Beer Festival um, souvenir cups here. It's pretty cool. Uh, they give these out every year at the Beer Fest. Um, not always glass. Uh, but I happen to be with a guy who knows a guy, by which I mean I play with the bagpipe pin that goes to the Great American Beer Festival every year, and they can usually hook us up with a glass glass if they do any kind of promotion like that. Because for some of them, they're like, okay, we'll do glass for, like, the Brewers Only show or stuff like that, and everybody else gets plastic, but I have a hookup because I'm cool. Um, yeah, so that's a... Interesting bit of beer news. Let's get into the news and booze here. Um, well, uh, sort of. We'll, we'll come back to... We're, we're going to do what you're playing first. But uh, a little weird piece of news and booze, which is actually booze news, which we don't go over very much. Um, Great American Beer Festival has um, been rumored to be looking into canceling the live event and doing an online event. So, Chris, as somebody who has gone with me to the Great American Beer Festival, do you understand how the fuck that would work? Uh, doing an online event? Yeah. Like, not even, like, not even a little. Yeah. I have no idea how the fuck they're going For to For that, that style of event, like, it, it, sure, you could do a Zoom meeting where you present the awards or something, but I've literally never gone to the award show there. <laughs> you know, I go to the metal booth where it's like, okay, they have all the last year's winners and they have a you know, you can see what won last year. There's a lot of good beers there anyway. But really the whole kind of point of the Great American Beer Festival is to wander around and find different beers from all around the country that you normally would not get to be able to try. To get progressively drunker one ounce at a time. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a hell of a great time. But putting it in an online fashion just literally makes no sense for what it is um i did see it was funny right before i've heard this uh on the radio that they were thinking about doing this as a digital event i was um uh on facebook and an ad came up for a great american beer festival like event uh where it's like yeah here's our beer festival we're doing it as an online event and it's like 30 dollars is basically your ticket price and um they send you, like, a case of 10 beers or something, and uh, they have, like, the judges test those 10 beers with you, and you can taste along with them while you're watching the live stream or something. And I'm like, okay, that kind of maybe sounds like an okay thing, but it it almost, if that's the kind of event that this would be, there's a lot of problems with that on the scale of the Great American Beer Festival, because you cannot have, you know, 4,000 beers 
sent to every person's home who buys a ticket. That's yeah, completely so infeasible. And for, for the, the other thing, who... it to me seemed like, okay, so basically I'm getting 10 beers for 30 bucks. That's not a terrible, or, or whatever it was. I don't remember if it was 10 beers or whatever, but however many beers, it's like, okay, so I'm basically buying a good pack of mixed craft beers, and then personally, I just wouldn't even care to watch the live event. I'd be like, whatever it was, I feel like it was a decent price for beer. I'm like, okay, I would have paid that for that many good beers, but then I would have just drank them. So, so for those, for the people who've never, like, seen the Great American Beer Festival or gone, uh, it's basically your, a giant open space, roughly like a, uh, and a little exaggerate, little bit exaggerated here, like a mile in size. It's literally the same venue that they use for Comic-Con. So if you've ever been to Comic-Con, or you have any idea how big the scale of that convention is, that is as big as Beer Fest is. They use the same location in Colorado. It's filled wall-to-wall with stalls that are just handing out beers. Yeah. So that's got to be, like, it's at least a couple hundred. Yeah, there's, uh... It's uh, every year it's gotten bigger and bigger too because they're now they've actually for a few years they've been in the Guinness Book of World Records as the place on earth where you can get the most different beers on tap. Um, and I think the last year they passed 4,000 or 5,000 beers on tap from various different brewers. There's several hundred that come from all around the United States every year, uh, and it's just increasing how many are coming. It's crazy. So, like, I feel like you could maybe do this as a micro beer fest thing, but then, like, as a person who lives in Colorado where we have crap loads of breweries anyway, I feel like I could just go to a brewery and get a flight, and it would be 80% the same. And that's kind of the problem right there. Yeah. Uh, and I, because I, I want... And it's also weird as a guy who plays in the pipe band uh, to hear this through the radio and be like, wait a minute, does that, are they going to have the pipe band at the digital event? That would be maybe kind of neat, but I still don't know what they're doing with it. Because it's, it's actually kind of cool how much they revere us uh, as part of the Great American Beer Festival culture. Because a few years they experimented with doing like multiple entrances so they'd have like a back entrance and a front entrance so that they could get more people into the event and kind of hopefully streamline things and they said uh to us that they couldn't call it an entrance to the great american beer festival unless the pipe band was playing there so we actually had to split the pipe band and play at both locations at the same time while they opened the event so yeah it's but you know, I don't know all the logistics that would go into this. And, and my pipe band hasn't honestly even been, like, practicing. We've been keeping in loose communique. But the place that we normally practice is obviously closed from all what's going on and stuff. And we're like, it'd be, you know, we're not supposed to gather in groups of ten even. So we can't really even just go practice in a park or something and keep six feet apart or whatever. So it's like, what do we do? You know, if they ask us to do anything, could we? I'm not really sure. I'm not the guy that handles the logistics. I just write the music. <laughs> that is kind of an issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, no idea what's going on with that. Hopefully that'll be 
something, but uh, at this point, I guess it says up in the air and everything. Uh, today's first beer of the week for me is a 1985 IPA, which is a Voodoo Ranger one. Uh, so this is pretty cool. It's hard to get in focus there because I think it's focusing roughly on me, but then I feel like it's too far away to read from over. Anyways, um, so yeah, this is a pretty neat little IPA here that I... Um, it's, uh, brewed with mango, uh, which I had a mango IPA on the podcast quite a while ago after I went camping last year sometime. Was Anzu? Yeah, that one. You remember that one? That one was great. Yeah, I so remember that one. This that one was... isn't as good as that, but it's still pretty good. Also, uh, I got a pop socket. Look at me. I'm like a fancy, like... Who got him the pop socket? My wife got me a pop socket. <laughs> so, yeah, apparently they make pop sockets for beer. I think it's a much better use because honestly, when I'm using my wife's phone, it bugs the crap out of me to like hold it with the, I'm like, how do you hold it? But it sort of works for a beer koozie. So I'm like, eh, close enough. And it's gimmicky enough that I think it's hilarious. <clears throat> Look, my wife is coming into the frame. They're fun. <laughs> I'll drink to that. Chris, what'd you drink? Oh, wait, you're on the podcast and you're drinking. So you have to review that white claw. Scale of 3 to 17. 15. You know the rules. 15. That's pretty good. I don't give White Claws that high of a review. They're okay. Should I Should I review it now? That one's better than most of them. The raspberry ones are, like, okay. Uh, most of them taste too much like seltzer and not enough, like, flavor. But the raspberry one is okay. It's <laughs> fruity. Wife approved. So, uh, yeah. Just like you. <laughs> Fruity and wife approved is me? Yep. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> That's uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I give that white claw a, uh, 10. It's fine. Not really my thing, but if you're into hard seltzers, sure, go for it. Um, and this IPA, I'm gonna go with, um, a good solid 13 for that. Not bad. See, this is how you can tell I'm still... Uh, uh, th this is where my mind goes, is I hear the word hard seltzer, and I'm just like, that's the shit clowns spray at people. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the level of cognition you're dealing with. Nice. Uh, so, uh, Chris, what you drinking? I am drinking a graham cracker porter. I had this last week, but it's, uh, it's gonna be kind of a fresh thing uh, for the listeners, because that... <laughs> didn't quite get all the way up there yeah so unless you heard our last podcast when we talked about graham cracker porter you know 30 episodes ago or some such um all right so uh what do you rate that there uh still very much like the graham cracker porter i'd still give that a 15 awesome all right so let's go on to what you're playing so chris what you've been playing all day or all last week or two uh, I've mostly been playing a bunch of Dead by Daylight. Uh, I like playing the killer in that game. Mm -hmm. uh, we've also switched over to Tabletop Simulator and been playing a lot of uh, Secret Hitler, mm -hmm. which has been fun. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever played Secret Hitler. I've heard of it. Um, uh, yeah, I think, uh, who is it? David was talking to us about that the last time... We got together for D&D with David, which was two or three weeks ago, I think. 
Sounds sounds pretty hilarious. I would like to play it at some point, but uh, have not got around to it. <clears throat> uh, let's see. I also played some games last week. That was uh, Shantae, uh, Half Genie Hero. Yeah. And uh, World of Horror, which is horror. kind of like a point and click. World of Horror. It's like a randomly generated point, uh, like simulation game. If you've ever played like a Japanese simulation game. Not like Mist or something. Not not like Mist or something, but more like uh. Shit, I'm having trouble coming up with something to compare it to that isn't Princess Maker. It's it's like it's like that if you ever if you know what that game is. Nope. <laughs> so uh, if you're interested in that, then thank Chris later. Apparently. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I thought it was funny like, that you picked up Shantae last week. We were talking about it because both of us have kind of been eyeing this series from the side and being like, "Ah, eh, that looks kind of neat," and then never actually got any of them. Yeah, so that would be the first Shantae I had picked up uh, <laughs> and I've been having fun with it awesome yeah I've been mostly sticking to Final Fantasy 7 remakes still uh, lots and lots of that so for like the last month it's just been consuming my life um, it's uh, it's still great it's it's actually kind of cool too because now I'm kind of at a point where I'm like in most games, I feel like just going back through cleaning up achievements would be, like, a boring, grindy thing. And it has grindy moments, certainly, but it's like the battle system is still fun enough that I don't mind that much. And uh, I've been doing a lot of them on hard mode just because there's an achievement for doing all the chapters on hard mode anyway. So I'm like, might as well get some of these other achievements on hard mode, too. Uh, so that's uh, been kind of cool. And also... Um, I keep running into, like, alternate scenarios, uh, that can apparently happen, and I'm like, I'm not really sure why they happen totally, but I'm like, as I've replayed these things, sometimes there's alternate scenarios, like, where a different character will appear, uh, in a certain scene or something, and it's, uh, it's been kind of interesting, because I've got several different things where I really didn't see it coming, where I'm just, like, going through the motions for most of the chapter, and then I get to a point, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's not who is supposed to be here, what's going on? And it's, like, super rewarding to just go through this game again and again, apparently, I never would have expected. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh... I've played through most of the chapters twice, some of the chapters three or four times for various achievement reasons, and um, 15 out of the 18 chapters on hard mode, uh, and I'm still just having a blast with it. This game is fucking phenomenal. Uh, and last week I also said that, unfortunately, we didn't get to talk about much, was uh, Tales of Vesperia I picked up. Okay, I'd, uh, I'd actually like to hear more about that. Yeah, Tales of Vesperia is kind of funny, because I really loved it when it came out, but now it's like, I feel like it just feels a little old, which isn't, like, a bad thing. I, I like old games, it's fine. But, like, a lot of the mechanics in it are just, um, just kind of feel a little old. Like, you could tell it was, you know, kind of in the middle of the generation where 
twin stick controls were really becoming like a standard thing because like in most of the areas you're you have a fixed camera and you're just walking around through it and then when you get to the overworld you can turn your camera very very slowly with the other stick and it's just some weird things like that that i'm just like this is like strange but it's, it's still good the characters are still good the story's still really uh interesting just a lot of different things going on in the world building and stuff like that which is why i really love tales of vesperia in the first place um and uh my only real gripe with it is that um as i've been playing it i've been reminded how grindy the tales games can be because uh, I was, like, just going through and, like, going out of my way for a few extra battles between, you know, main story points and stuff, but not really doing a lot of grinding. And then I got to a point where bosses were, like, not, like, impossible, but, like, I'd have to try several times and then, like, really pay attention to what's going on because I was, like, underleveled. So I was just, like... Uh, I love this game, but I don't want to deal with the grindiness, so I just was like, fuck it, I'm putting it on easy. <laughs> and it's like, it's still the same game, but it's like, the grind is gone, but at the same time, some of the bosses have been... I've only fought one boss since I turned it on easy, but he was like, really underwhelming, and I was like, do I want to put it back on normal? Just, <laughs> I'm like, uh, but I don't want to grind, you know, so it's double-edged. You know what, there. that's fair. I, I feel like a game like that, and... Unfortunately, we had this discussion last week, so we'll probably have to wait for some <laughs> guests to show up yeah. about hard modes, and then I, I was leaning more into like difficulty settings. But uh, I feel like you could play the game on easy to, so you didn't have to grind and then switch over to normal for the bosses if you wanted yeah, things maybe. to or not just feel underwhelming. Like, maybe just grind on easy so it took less time or something? I don't know. I've, I've kind of thought yeah. about it, but I'm like, that also sounds tedious. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, what else have I been playing? Not much. I started a Twilight Princess playthrough, but I really haven't touched it since... Like, like I did two kind of sessions with it, and uh, the second one I was literally just falling asleep at the wheel a bunch because it was kind of late, and the I forgot how slow the intro of Twilight Princess is. Um, it's, like, not terrible, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's kind of annoying if you've played this game several times, and especially coming from, like, modern games that are trying to eliminate load screens, and, like, the, there, there are barely ever load screens in, like, Final Fantasy VII Remake. There's, like, one between chapters, and that's about it. And, like, that's kind of a lot for some of the games I've been playing lately, you know. Uh, God of War is literally one continuous shot for the entire game. Uh, Spider-Man is, is pretty much the same. It, it tries to, you know, eliminate as much load screen as possible. And so, to kind of go back to Twilight Princess, where the first... The, I feel like most of the game isn't going to be all that bad, but the first area is just, like, unskippable cutscene, loading screen. Unskippable cutscene, unskippable cutscreen, loading screen, loading screen. It's like... The, the starting area is segmented so many times, unnecessarily, I feel like, and it's just really annoying to do. And the unskippable cutscene thing is a thing I'm glad games don't do anymore. Yeah. Because uh, I feel like that should have never been acceptable. 
Yeah. It's a thing that, like, it wasn't all that terrible. And it's weird, too, because most of the cutscene cutscenes in Twilight Princess are skippable. But, like, none of the, like, dialogue boxes of tutorials and stuff are skippable. So, like, there's this whole area where it's like, you're talking to these kids and they're like, hey, you've got a sword, show us this technique. You know, the one where you push B while Z targeting. And then another kid makes a snarky quip. Oh, anybody can do that. And it's like, yeah, this was, like, kind of humorous the first time, maybe the second time, but now I'm just over it. And you're just mashing A, just shut up, kids, shut up, we hit the fucking target. <laughs> <laughs> That, uh, yeah, and then I got to the first I, Tears of Light segment where you're supposed to, you're Wolf Link, and you're supposed to collect all the little droplets, and it's just like this is like the most grindy part of any Zelda game ever. And I, I was just, it was, I got to that part literally after I was falling asleep in other Wolf Link segments where you fought the first um, uh, Dark Beast thingy. I forget what those guys are called. The the dudes that come from the sky and the portals and whatever. Um, and I, I I literally died to one because I fell asleep and I woke up and it's just like game over. I'm like, huh. What happened? <laughs> and I, I reloaded and I killed him easily because they're not hard to fight at all. <laughs> I was just falling asleep and I, I got to the Tears of Light and I was just like, nope. Just put it away for uh, a minute. And I haven't been back for a little while because I've been, you know, Final Fantasy 7 what grinding. I, what I'd ask is, uh, has that changed your opinion of Twilight Princess at all? Would you rank it lower on like your Zelda scale now? No, because as somebody who has played it through probably 10 times or so, I'm not sure, I, I haven't counted, but I've, I've played this game through several times on every console it's come out on, except I've only done it once on Wii U, so this, this will be my second Wii U run. But I've done like three or four GameCube runs and several Wii runs. I've done, like, three heart runs and challenge stuff like that, like I usually do with Zelda games. So I don't think this, like, diminishes it, but I feel like the starting area's badness is even more noticeable, but I know once you get out of the starting area, it's like, it's not that bad. It's fine. It's just okay. the starting area, because then you get to the open, you know, Hyrule Field is big and full of, you know, secret treasure to find, and uh, dig spots and stuff like that and there's cool stuff to do and then you're going into the dungeons you know it, it gets into a fairly linear kind of a thing which isn't my favorite thing in a Zelda game but it's something that worked okay for Twilight Princess and the dungeons in Twilight Princess are still fantastically designed they're some of my favorite dungeons but yeah it's, it's really just the starting area as boring as shit and full of unskippable cutscenes and loading screens that's that's Twilight Princess's problem in my eyes. Like the rest of it is fine. I love the story. I love the character. I love mostly characters. Ilya's lame. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's like almost unanimously just a thing that nobody likes Ilya, except for. Like, I mean, she's just unmemorable. Yeah. And she has like the lamest theme too. Like whenever that track comes up on the soundtrack CD in my car, I'm like, skip. Nope. Well, not everybody can have fucking Minda's Lament. True, but, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, you could at least be more interesting than the fucking town music, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
No, go to Goron City. Go to Kakariko, something like that. Uh, Hidden Village is amazing music. I love it. And I thought about playing some others. I booted up Hyrule Warriors Legends earlier this week because I was talking about it online with somebody about Hyrule Warriors. And I was like, I haven't played that game in a long time. Uh, and I booted it up and I played like one level and I was just like, it feels really weird because I feel like I've forgotten how to play this game, which is a strange thing because literally it's basically got two buttons. <laughs> It's it's like a super simple game to kind of get into, but it's like just since I haven't played it in a, probably a year, maybe a, actually I don't think I've hardly touched my 3DS since I bought my Switch. So probably two or three years was the last time I played Hyrule Warriors Legends. Um, it's like the training wheels have fallen off, and I don't, you know, I'm, I I don't remember how to ride my bike, but it's like. Some of it came back to me because I, I I was just like I'm gonna play Link. It's fine. I'll, I'll you know he's like the easiest character because literally if you just mash B with Link you'll probably win. It's fine because <laughs> uh, the the entire game system is basically in a combo system, but every combo is pushing B and then A, and if you push B twice and then A or B three times and then A, then it'll do different combos. So it's literally combos, but all of them are one or multiple presses of B and then you end with A. That's all of them in the entire game for every character. But it's like Link's, like you can just mash B. He gets like extra B attacks. If you just keep mashing B uh, and you have him fully upgraded, then you can just mash B for like eight or nine times and it'll be probably one of the best combos in the game. He's so broken He's and easy to use. He's like it's cool because he's like good and easy to use, but it's also kind of like I wish Link as the main character was a little more unique and you know, like some of these other characters have like really cool instead stuff being, that they can do. Instead Ins of being the generic character. Yeah, but I kind of understand why he would be the generic character because you, you kind of got to fill that role with somebody and I'm like, could you really do that with Zelda who's more of a mage-ish type uh, or, you know, who else would fill that role? There's not really a good choice other than Link. So, eh, it is what it is. But it's it was it was kind of fun. But it was still just kind of weird that it was like, I I and I, I didn't remember how to beat some of the bosses, and I'm like doing some of the mechanics to, that I remembered, and it's like not working as well as I think it should. And I'm just like, I'm gonna go do other stuff and kill some other guys over here. Okay, bye, manhandler. <laughs> All right. Um, so will that be all for our uh, what's plan? Uh, I don't got any more comments to say. Cool. So we'll go into the news and booze here. Um, so first piece of last of news and booze is The Last of Us Part Two had a dedicated state of play presentation. Um, almost had to say Nintendo Direct there because it's like. It's, like, weird how much they're copying the Nintendo Direct formula because now they're doing, like, ooh, we're doing a specific game state of play, just like sometimes they've been doing Pokemon Directs and Zelda Direct. We could wish for a Zelda Direct. That would be wonderful. Would be. <laughs> they don't give us those. Zelda gets, like, one announcement per year, and 
every eight or nine years they'll it maybe release a game and it's fine, it's fine. so anyways uh last of us part two state of play happened yesterday two days whatever it was sometime this week um chris did you watch that or care at all uh, i did not watch that uh i might care a little i care but I don't want to watch it because it's one of the things that I love most about The Last of Us was that I went into it completely blind, having no idea what the characters were, what the setting was, what anything going on was. And so the entire thing was like this fresh, completely unexpected experience for me. And I'm going to do exactly the same thing. So I've like, I think I accidentally found one spoiler for this game, which is kind of annoying, but it's weird. It, as a spoiler because it's like sort of conflicting with something that was implied in the first game but not something that i think is outright stated in the first game and it's like something that i could kind of see being the thing so I, I i won't say what it is obviously for you know spoilers and stuff but other than that i'm like no idea I haven't watched any gameplay haven't done any research into this i'm just i'm gonna buy it day one and I'm going to play it, and I'm going to have no idea what's coming, you know, moment after moment, just like the first one. Because I, I feel like that game I heard, like, not very much about, and if I did hear anything about it, I got, like, it just completely blanked in my memory. Because when it came out, I was, like, a Nintendo-only guy. I was like, I can afford to have one console, I'm going to have the one that has Zelda. So, now that I'm, like, a fancy two-console man, I'm like, okay... Now I'm going to branch out a little bit and catch up on some of these things, which is kind of why I got into The Last of Us, because a lot of people were recommending it. and like, But I feel like that was such a... One of the best things I loved about it was that I could never tell what it was going to do next, because I had no idea, you know, what kind of game it was at all. And I thought that was great, so I'm going to do that again. So I did not watch it, not planning to watch it. So, there you go. Take that for what you will. Um, PlayStation 5 games are going to have some kind of showcase on June 4th, which is next week. So next week we'll be talking about some kind of PS5 games. They're going to have some sort of uh, presentation. It sounds more or less, again, like a Nintendo Direct-ish thing, but it's not officially called a state of play. Um, so it's... It's hard to say exactly what this is going to be. But it, anyways, it's like an hour-long presentation of games coming to PlayStation 5, uh, probably at launch or in launch year, I would guess. Um, so, that sounds kind of interesting. This is um, kind of, it, it also, it was uh, leaked beforehand by Bloomberg. I was gonna, it was weird because I put Bloomberg leaked uh, this on the notes earlier this week and then I had to uh, amend it because I was like, oh, it happened. So Bloomberg knows what they're talking about, apparently. So Bloom Bloomberg, it's fun. It's funky that Bloomberg of all newspapers leaked this, right? Because they they said something like it's coming next week, possibly Wednesday, which I think June fourth is Thursday, so they got the date wrong. Ha! But you know what? Whatever. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so any excitement there for PlayStation 5 games? Are you looking at next-gen consoles at all, or are you going to mostly stick with PC like you have been? I've been mostly sticking with PC. Uh, there, There's always, like, the occasional game where I'm like, oh, shit, I really want that. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
with a game like Final Fantasy VII Remake, I know that the exclusivity contract is going to expire, yeah. and at that point, uh, the parts will probably uh, the part the uh, parts will probably start releasing on PC. Yeah, uh, I'm sure they will, because like the exclusivity for. Seven remake is only for a year anyway, so uh, it's it's pretty much guaranteed. Yeah, you're gonna have it just next year. Oh, no. So Nintendo's basically the one that I pay attention to because uh, because most of their stuff is first party. You just can't get it on PC. Yeah. Or you get it after somebody like you know creates a emulator right. for one of their consoles. Yeah, but is... that'll be, you know, a long time in the future, and then there'll be all the ambiguous legality, morality things, and then also when emulators are first coming out, you never know if they're going to get shut down, and ROM sites get shut down all the time, so it's like a lot of rigmarole you have to jump through, and a lot of waiting you have to do to maybe jump through that rigmarole, so... Uh, for yeah. for Nintendo, I think it's definitely better to just be like, okay, whatever, I'll bite the bullet, I'll I'll have a Nintendo thing, um, and I've been really liking having a PlayStation Four too, because it's like just kind of opens it up again a little bit more. And thank you, my wife got me a PS Four a couple of years ago. It was great. Uh, you should get yourself a wife; they come in handy. Sometimes they buy you stuff. They do not have a Lowe's. Yeah, I'll have to think about it. So, any interest at all in PS5, or is there a game that could pull you in and be like, okay, I'm going to buy a PS5 now? Uh, I never know unless the game comes out, mm -hmm. uh, and it would have to be, like, something I didn't expect to come to PC later, or right. something I was so excited about. And then that. that's a hard thing to even call now, because with Horizon Zero Dawn coming to PC... You know, it's a few years later, but now it's like, okay, they just set precedent that, like, random Sony-developed exclusives could come to PC. So, now it's like, anything's almost on the table. Not literally anything, but potentially anything. You know what I mean. Yes. Alright, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles got a... Release date, uh, so the remastered edition is coming August 27th to PlayStation 4, Switch, and probably other stuff. I don't know if it has crossplay. I wonder if that has crossplay. That'd be pretty cool with crossplay. Um, but Sony's usually a stick in the mud about crossplay, um, so I have no idea. And then uh, I think it's only Switch, PC, and. It might not be PC. Maybe it's just Switch and PS4. I don't remember. Anyways, uh, go look it up if you're interested. But super hype for me. Um, I am totally buying this game because uh, I love the original Crystal Chronicles. Um, it's got some amount of new content, uh, which is cool. So I won't just be retreading old ground. Uh, but at the same time, like it's old ground that I think is worth retreading. Um, so... Definitely a game to, if you can, play, like, local couch co-op with some buddies. Get a few buddies over, uh, you know, and hang out for a while and, and grind this thing out. It's just fantastic game. Um, it's a pretty good single-player experience, too, but it's it's really just heightened 
immensely by having a, a party dynamic, I think. Um, you interested in that? Oh, Chris? Yeah, kind of a little party game. Uh, you remember playing Crystal Chronicles back in the day. We played hours of that back on GameCube. Oh, I'm sorry. I uh, I don't know what happened. Yeah, fucking Crystal Chronicles. Yeah. I, I read that in the uh, chat in the uh, thing, and that uh, I'm very excited for that. Yeah, um, so it's unfortunate it was delayed from the January release. Otherwise, we probably would have played that all already. But uh, yeah, that's awesome. Um, and it's got online play, too, so... Uh, we should be able to join up and have a game. That'll be cool. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I'm. I am very much looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, gonna hop on Switch. I don't know if it's coming to PC. Uh, I was just saying that, but I. I uh, I'll, I'll. If it if it comes to Switch, I'll pick it up on Switch. If it comes to PC, I'll pick it up on PC. Mm. Uh, it is coming to Switch. I don't know about PC. So what would you do if it came out on Switch and PC? I, I uh, would hope it has cross-play so I can pick it up on PC. But if it doesn't, I'd pick it up on Switch. Yeah, that's uh, fair. Since yeah, because I don't know if it has cross-play or not. Because uh, I was saying, because it, it is coming out on Switch and PS4, I remember. Uh, and sometimes Sony's a stick in the mud about cross-play. So, I don't know. Um, Sonic the Hedgehog movie sequel is a officially underway uh they've started planning uh paramount pictures made an announcement so uh it sounds like they're getting back their original writer and director for the first film uh but as of now no other plans have been announced uh so it, it sounds like they're really early in uh which kind of makes sense they didn't finish up too long ago on sonic the hedgehog one it's only been out three months uh since its release in theaters um and yeah, so uh, you gonna watch Sonic the Hedgehog two? Did you watch Sonic the Hedgehog one? Oh, I haven't watched Sonic the Hedgehog one. I plan to eventually watch it, but there's still it was other surprisingly good. I, I was like, actually, that was a solid movie. It was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, so if you're a Sonic fan, then I'd recommend seeing it. If you, if you just like a fun, you know not too serious family movie then it's definitely worth a watch it's actually my favorite movie that i've seen in theaters this year which is an unfortunately small list because of current happenings <laughs> but uh still you know i watched a handful of pretty cool movies like in january and february before everything shut down but um kind yeah, of a worthwhile thing to say yeah still you know for the first three months uh and and i haven't seen anything since then hardly uh that's been a new movie this year i've mostly been like you know watching netflix tv shows and stuff like that i've been i started like my hero academia on the funimation app and stuff like that and i i've been like doing basically almost no movies since then so i i don't remember what the last movie i even saw was i've i've seen several movies this year sonic was the best one to have come out in 2020, in my opinion, that I have seen. So, there's a fair amount of hard hitters that might be kind of in that neighborhood coming out in the next few months, though. I guess uh, Wonder Woman got delayed, so, you know, when that comes out, that might be good. I don't know. I, I wasn't as big into the first one as a lot of people are. 
Um, I was like, it was fine. It was like regular-ish superhero movie. It was fun. Um, but I didn't, I don't know. I was like, feels like superhero movie. Uh, I never watched Wonder Woman. I heard that was the, like, the good DC movie. Uh, yeah, um, probably, I don't know, of the current canon, I'm trying to think of where I would rank them all. Uh, Wonder Woman would probably be close to the top, if not the number one in the current canon. Um, not as good as the Dark Knight trilogy, um, but... It, it was a fun movie. I'd, I'd certainly recommend it if you like superhero movies. If you like, you know, Wonder Woman specifically, then yeah, it's probably going to be awesome for you. Um, I think it was a good movie, but I, I feel like just a lot of people really, really loved it where I was just like, yeah, that was a good movie. You know, <laughs> you know, I wasn't like overly excited. Fond about of it. it. Yeah, I was like, it was good. I didn't think it necessarily had any major flaws or anything, but I was like, yeah, it was just... I don't know, maybe it's just partial superhero movie burnout after 10 years of Marvel shit going on and uh, the Dark Knight trilogy leading into this whole thing. Because, it, it, you know, I've probably watched four or five superhero movies a year since, you know, the Marvel thing started in 2009. <laughs> I do think there is a thing about the DC movies just not being as good as the Marvel movies for whatever reason. I From don't know what I'm what looking at it. I feel like they were doing the Dark Knight thing and that was their own thing and it was cool and it was great. And then they realized after the Dark Knight trilogy was done that Marvel had kind of set the stage for this whole Avengers thing and Marvel had done it really, really well and got a lot of success for it. And they were like, let's do that with Justice League. But they were too eager to catch up. So they made, like, two films that, like, just within the Superman and Batman versus Superman was, like, trying to catch up to, like, three or four years of different films. Because, like, I feel like Superman and then... Or, uh, so Man of Steel was the first Superman one, and then Batman versus Superman was pretty much after that. And that... that introduced Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman all into the canon in two movies. Whereas the Avengers setup was we have the Incredible Hulk, we have Thor, we have Iron Man, and we have Captain America, and then Avengers. So it, I feel like instead of taking the time that they really needed to to explore this possibility, they were just too eager to catch up to where Marvel was. And so it ended up just feeling rushed and not as well thought out and not as well produced is that's kind of my take on it. And I've talked to some people about that and some people are like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. And some people are like, no, I, I see it as its own kind of thing. Um, I, so, so I, I think that's part of it. Yeah. I think they're also just not, they're, they're trying to rush it and they're also just not as good in the first place. Partially. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's as good for that kind of thing, too, because Justice League, to me, is not as ripe for that scenario as Avengers, because as the Avengers, everybody works really well together. But the Justice League, I almost like way better as solo 
films. Like, I liked Man of Steel pretty well, which is weird, because nobody liked Man of Steel except me. (laughs) Which is weird, because I also don't like Superman. Like, most of the time, I'm like, oh, look, it's Superman. He's super, and he does stuff, and he's, like, the most boring vanilla superhero ever. He's just like, look at me, I got superpowers, so I win. And I feel like that's boring, but I felt like, I thought Man of Steel did it pretty well. Um, I will agree with any argument that says anything about product placement. That was fucking annoying. <laughs> but, you know, what are you going to do about that? Whatever. Um, and then most of the rest of them, I felt, were just, like, fine and maybe a different interpretation than what we're used to. And that was maybe part of it, too, is that, like, the directors had a different interpretation than what fans wanted. Because I feel like um, most of the Marvel films are basically exactly what fans wanted somehow miraculously. And the DC ones are just not what fans want at all. Um, so that's that's another part of it, is fan expectations and fan desires versus what they actually get. I think it is worth saying that there's a difference between... Uh, like having just blatant fan service and uh, and actually respecting the characters. I feel like the DC movies are bad at understanding what the characters are supposed to be. Uh, granted, they're also dealing with characters like Superman, who isn't really so much a character as like an ideal. Yeah. It's funny, because watching My Hero Academia, I totally get where they get that. It's, uh, because, like, All Might is this character that's, like, the Superman for the media. You know, he's, like, always this hero of justice and always has a smile on his face and uh, in front of the camera. But, you know, then you get, like, this behind-the-scenes thing, and he's, like, this just got this totally different stuff going on, and it's, it's pretty cool for that. Um, but Superman is pretty much in every form he's ever been in, just the Superman for the media. Look at me. I'm the symbol of justice or, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. And that's like 99% of Superman's character, unless you get into like some of the nitty gritty details and some of the old comics and stuff like that. Then they had some interesting stuff going on sometimes, but mostly it was like explaining his powers and stuff. It wasn't really about his character. Um, it's like, he's really just kind of this blank, I feel like he's almost like, um, like the Link or something where it's just like, here's this character that doesn't have a lot of emotions, so you can just kind of project yourself on it, uh, but I feel like that works a lot worse in film than it does in a video game or something like that. And to be fair, I never felt like Superman was a character where you were supposed to project yourself onto Superman. Uh, Superman is supposed to be, like, not a person. He's supposed to be, like, an ideal being or something like that. Right. So anyways, Uh, uh, we've been on that accidental tangent for a while. Want to get back to the news? (laughs) Because eventually, I suppose we should talk about this news. Last piece of news and booze is kind of a big one, though. Um, So Amazon France lists several new Switch titles. Um, Now, similar listings like this have come up before E3 before, and now we're kind of coming up on the when E3 would have been. And and they've come up like this before a Nintendo Direct and stuff like that, too. So 
now it's kind of got my mind a buzz of like, oh, maybe there's some sort of big Nintendo announcement that is going to take the place of what E3's Direct would have been. So maybe they're going to have a Nintendo Direct. I'm not, you know, it, it's all speculation, obviously. But um, I guess we can expect soon-ish that we might see some announcements from Nintendo. So um, I'm going to go through uh, basically what uh, there is. There is uh, three games from Bethesda listed, uh, two games from Square... Both are Switch only. Uh, two games from Warner. Um, two games from Ubisoft. One from Take-Two. And one from Capcom. Which is another Switch only. Um, so I'm trying to think of what all these could be. Because there's there's like a lot of interesting things to kind of speculate there. Uh, the three games from Bethesda. I'm like, that could be like a lot of stuff. Um, so one of these is going to be Switch only, and a couple of them are going to be multi-platform. I'm wondering maybe if Elder Scrolls Blades is getting a physical edition, because I don't think Elder Scrolls Blades has come to other consoles. It's only on mobile and Switch. Uh, so if it's getting a physical edition, eh, maybe that could be. Although that would be a really weird game to give a physical edition. Don't buy the physical edition. It's a free game. That's fucking stupid. <laughs> but it, it kind of got my head ticking. I was like, maybe... Um, other possibilities from Bethesda, I guess, Rage 2 might be a thing, or, um, I, one of the Fallout games, maybe. Uh, some of them are multi-platforms, so, might be, like, Fallout 5? Hoping, hoping, hoping. Probably not. Almost definitely not. <laughs> but, you know. Um, Square has tons of stuff. I've got no idea. They both switch only. Um, could be Bravely Default 2 and, uh, the Octopath Traveler sequel that was teased, like, last year sometime. Could be any number of other weird things. Uh, Warner, I have no fucking idea. Ubisoft, they make Warner usually, Warner Brothers usually, at least, no, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of the, not Warner Brothers, I'm thinking of the studio that did, like, Bastion. Mm -hmm. Never mind. Okay, yeah, I'm like, I don't even know specifically what games Warner Brothers really makes. Uh, uh, I would say Bethesda's been, dis their company behavior's been disappointing as of late. Uh, I hope they find a way of redeeming themselves. Yeah, but. it's weird too, because I really love a lot of Bethesda's games, but it, at the same time, I'm like, I want to support them, I don't want to support them. You know, what he. It's just a lot of back and forth, and mostly I'm just like, okay, if the game is good, I'm still gonna fucking buy it. Is <laughs> my end of the day takeaway? But sometimes it's like, I don't want to give you money, but I'm going to anyway. Um, take two. I'm not even sure who that is. I'm like, I've, I'm sure I've heard of them, and I probably know what game they made. Maybe. Uh, um, Capcom makes all sorts of shit. It could be another Street Fighter collection. Was it Take Two the parent company of Rockstar? Maybe. Uh, GTA I do Five know on I, Switch. I do know that I played a uh, a Game Boy Color game named Rats Two hmm. on uh, back when I was a kid. That game was uh, it was terrible. Hmm. Genuinely awful. Cool. Um, so, do you have any specific predictions on any of this or? Uh... Just, uh, what do you think about this? Do you think there's, uh, 
Nintendo Direct incoming that would be a pseudo E3-like announcements that, you know, they couldn't announce it at E3, so they might as well do something? Uh, let's see. Probably. I the E3 was, like, a nice hype time for them, but they probably... They may, I don't know if E3, if there's pressure to get everything out for E3, and that pressure is now off. Right. And, like, they're more willing to scatter things out yeah, throughout the year now. To an extent, or I feel like that's possible, too, because it's like, uh, especially with the Paper Mario trailer that was just, like, dropped. Like, hey, look, Paper Mario's coming out in two months. Whoop! <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, like, the kind of thing that could have easily been in a direct, that, like, you, you know, something like that, like, lead direct story or, like, the... Oh, we have one more announcement. You know, I, I feel like that would have done really, really well in a direct. But you know, maybe they just didn't have enough for a whole direct at this time, and so maybe they're just gonna chunk it out. Maybe they're just gonna do, you know, one announcement trailer every now and then here and there. Um, and maybe they are gonna do a bigger, you know, E three something. I don't know. That's hard to say because it's like, uh, I I think officially they said that they were not going to do any kind of E3 replacement, uh, but Nintendo <laughs> has been known to be like, hey, whatever you're thinking, yeah, we're not doing that, and then they totally fucking do it. So, <laughs> who knows? I don't know. Nintendo, wires in the best way. Right? Okay, uh, anyways, uh, second beer of the week, since I finished my first uh, other half of that, is... Uh, Getting tiki with it, nitro. Uh, so this is a pina colada wheat beer uh, on nitro. So that sounds kind of unique. I've never had anything quite like this. Uh, I don't think I've ever had a wheat beer on nitro. I might have, but uh, yeah. And then pina colada wheat sounds okay to me. Um, I like pina coladas okay, and uh, not huge wheat guy. But I feel like a nitro pina colada seems to make a lot of sense so uh let's try that out shall we Ooh, it's got like a widget like guinness so that's pretty cool so i'll let, I'll let that settle for a minute so anyways just a little bit of yeah. um we're gonna get into uh the um video game topic now so uh are longer video games better because uh some games you'll play uh i feel like not very long and some games will suck you in like i've been playing final fantasy 7 remake which is now like i feel like final fantasy 7 remake is the new zelda on this podcast i just fucking talk about it for an hour every week because <laughs> i'm almost 90 hours into it and it's it's great but does that make it better because it holds your attention for longer uh no i uh, i am there is something to be said about a game spending enough time with a game to have it really stick in your memory. Right. But I don't think having a game be longer necessarily implies quality. Uh, or, so, I'm like, for, say, Undertale, you can get through that game. It, you could get through every storyline in that game in about, I want to say, 15 hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the game is the game would stick with me more than some other longer games often might 
Yeah, um, I think it's uh, kind of... It really depends on the game, because some games I feel like really benefit from being as long as they are, because then it, it sticks in... I feel like long games, for me, uh, stick in my mind in different ways than short games, because you'll remember a lot more total of what the short game did, uh, but at the same time, you might remember a lot of the other things that you did in a long game. It's, it's funny, because, like, sometimes replaying long games, like, I'm replaying, um, uh, Tales of Vesperia, like I said, is a relatively lengthy game. I don't know, I, I assume, you know, JRPG is probably 40 hours, 50 hours, something in there. I'm not totally sure, but, uh, you know, I'm, like, 10 hours in now, and, like, most of the stuff that's in here, I totally forgot. All these story elements that are going in here, a lot of these scenes, I'm like... And some of them are like, oh, yeah, I remember this. And some of them are like, I, like, would never have remembered this in a million years. It's like, it, it feels like it's a new thing. It's, it's not in my memory. Like, I'm meeting characters that are fairly important that stick with you for a little while. And I'm like, who the fuck is that? never seen him before in my life, you know, but I totally did, because I played this game most of the way through, I don't know if it was most of the way through, I, I played for quite a while, uh, we had that conversation last week when the podcast wasn't here, <laughs> anyway, yeah, um, but yeah, it's like, uh, but Tales of Vesperia, you know, it stood out to me for some of the main characters that I did get to, you know, get along with for a long time, and some of the other characters, I was like, I kind of remember them a little bit, and some of the other characters came in, and I'm like, who, who the hell's that guy? So it's weird how much Tales of Vesperia stuck in my head, because since the moment they announced it, I've been hyped for this, and I've just been like, oh yeah, I want to get it. Like, I wanted to get it day one, um, but like I didn't have all the money at the time, and I had just got another game or something, and, and for a while I was just like holding off and holding off. And then it was like on sale the couple of weeks ago, for like 20 bucks and i was like okay it's on sale it's only 20 bucks i'm i'm fucking doing it it's fine and i i had kind of a like a terrible fuck it day with you know I, I just everything was going wrong i was just like okay nope i need beer and i need a new game and i'm buying tales of vesperia and it's amazing um so yeah but uh, again this is a game that like is fairly lengthy but not super lengthy that I remember a lot of, but I don't remember, like, some of the... Uh, like, I remember all my favorite characters, uh, but some of these other characters I'm, like, you know, barely even remembered. Uh, or some of them I just didn't remember. So it's... Memorability isn't usually a thing that I, I really put into games, but so much of this game was not as memorable for some reason. So, so I think that's kind of interesting, uh, that... I didn't remember as much of it, but I really, really loved it at the time. And, and playing it again, I'm like, yeah, still getting into it again. I feel like it's a weird thing to play after Final Fantasy VII Remake, because as going from one JRPG to another, I feel like Final Fantasy VII Remake is very clearly the better one to me personally. Uh, so it's a little weird because of that. But... Yeah, it's just kind of one of those things. I'm like, I, I still really like it, so it's it's fine. Uh, um, there 
are a lot of JRPG. Uh, no, JRPGs are the thing I'm thinking of as like a long game that doesn't necessarily stick with me so much. Uh, but I would say that most long games tend to be at least uh, they tend to be at least decent enough to stick with you to keep your attention for a while. Yeah. Or else you don't. They're not really a long game because you're not playing them for very long. Right. Uh, just kind of as self-evident as that might seem. <laughs> uh, but then there, you have incredibly short games that uh, don't that also don't stick with you because they last for one hour and they don't do much. But I think short games on average tend to stick with you more. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny you say that because I almost feel the opposite personally. Because uh, um, when I think of my favorite games, most of them are games that I've uh, played for quite a long time. Uh, my one favorite game of all time, obviously Ocarina of Time, is not super long. It's kind of like medium. Um, I, I kind of wonder how long it would take like a regular person to just play through that. You know, probably 15 to 20 hours. So not not all that long. I uh, It's kind of hard to define really what's a long game and a short game anyway because there's... <laughs> There's so well, much like, variation, you know, because obviously you have some games that are like an hour or less, you know, some games are like, uh, you know, indie games often, you know, will rank in somewhere in the 10 to 20 hour range. And then you get, you know, uh, or, or, or even not even indie games, you know, some like action games aren't always all that long. Like Last of Us was only 15 hours, 10 hours, 15 hours, something like that. And then... But then you get into these JRPGs and stuff, and it's like 40-hour minimum, uh, so it's it's kind of weird. But yeah, like in my top five games, I think Ocarina of Time is the shortest, which is weird because it's my favorite. But then uh, I was actually uh, just thinking about this. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake is now in my top five favorite games of all time. I fucking love this shit. Um, and like just to go through the campaign once is about 40 hours, but like I said, I'm almost at 90 just doing, you know, extra stuff and things. Uh, so to really see everything it's got to offer is, is definitely more than that. Uh, Octopath Traveler was about 100 hours. That's another of my top five games. Um, Morrowind is infinite hours. <laughs> I don't think there's an end to Morrowind. You can beat the story, but you're not done. <laughs> and I'm like... But- Open world Bethesda games are usually like really good. Yeah. In terms of, it, uh, well, not all of them, but enough of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. It. I guess the best thing I could say is, uh, game. The length of gameplay doesn't really. It almost holds no correlation between how impactful a game is. Because there are games like the original Fallouts that I played for probably over a hundred hours right. that I still hold fondly. Yeah, uh, and then there's long games that I played f- that I probably could have played for 
hundreds of hours and just didn't because they didn't do anything for me. Yeah, that's that's another uh, thing is like some of these long games, though, I'm like just in this generation I've played. Uh, I put 100 hours into Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I think it was about 120 hours just to finish the campaign in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And I'm not like mad that I did it or anything. It was it was a good experience. I liked the game, but I couldn't tell you almost anything that happened. <laughs> right? Um, which is kind of the reason why I didn't get Xenoblade Chronicles 1 is like, I feel like if I played Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which most people that I'm looking at online are saying Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was the better one over Xenoblade Chronicles, uh, which the remake came out today, uh, which is what I'm talking about. Um, I'm like... If it's not as good as Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and I liked Xenoblade Chronicles 2 as much as I did, I feel like coming off of Final Fantasy VII and uh, Tales of Vesperia, it would just feel like a slog. I feel like it would be so boring. So I think down the line I would like to get the Xenoblade Chronicles remake, but it's not something that I'm going to rush out for right now. Uh, so I, I want to bring up something mm -hmm. uh, that I think might be and i don't know if you'll agree with me on this or not uh but i feel like you and i tend to uh we tend to be more positive on games or things we like or things in general than a lot of people do are that's true uh so when you say you don't you're like, you think you'll still get this, but it'll be a slog. I imagine a lot of people will be like, oh no, that game is bad. Right, yeah, because it's, it's not that I think Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is bad, but I think it was a lot of time, and I didn't care for most of the characters all that much. Like, they were fun, you know, but I feel like most of them were kind of generic anime people doing generic anime people stuff. And what really kept me going through that game was the world building and all that kind of thing. The lore behind everything was just fucking phenomenal. It's incredible world building through the storytelling. and But the characters themselves are just like, look at me, I'm an anime guy number one. That, that's anime chick. You can tell because she got boobs. They're huge. That's, that's the weird inhuman guy in the anime. He's a perv. He makes made robots. That seems pretty typical. That, right, yeah. And that is very had plenty of fun, you know, interactions in between. And I'm not saying, like, it was, like, terrible writing or anything, but it was a little generic anime. And I feel like a generic anime character is coming off of, you know, Final Fantasy VII is one of the best character-driven yeah. games of all time. And so I what feel I'd like say is does it even better than the first one? As we have a character development. I feel like you we just talking about you and I, we mm -hmm. have a tendency to be able to just enjoy like a generic anime thing. Yeah. But we're not gonna remember much about it afterward. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna stick with us. Yeah. It's like a eating like, a that's potato again another chip, I guess. one of these weird things. Um is like yeah, I couldn't tell you most of what the characters said or did through the entire game, but I could tell you a crap load about the world and the lore because it was so cool. So, yeah. But that is kind of me, you know. I, I find the, the silver lining in fucking everything, like, to a fault almost. I, <laughs> I was having a conversation the other day with somebody about... Um, um, 
like how I interact with people too is almost kind of like this. Like I, I try to find the silver lining and I, I trust people and I get along with people to a fault to where like I had introduced these two people together and they'd kind of started butting heads a little bit. And it was like, you know, cause I don't butt heads with people. I'm just like, you have an opinion. Cool. You know, or what it, it doesn't necessarily have to be an opinion, but whatever your personality type is, just that's my superpower. I get along with people somehow magically that I don't understand. Um, and sometimes it leads me to weird scenarios where it's like I get along with this person and this person, and we're I'm interested in this, and these two people are interested in this, and then they get together and they fucking hate each other, and uh, you know, or at the very least, they don't get along for some reason, and it's like I never see this coming because that's my superpower. So I totally see where you're coming from for that. Um, so yeah. do you like long games, and do uh, you like them? better than short games in general or short games in general better it's it's kind of impossible for me to answer that because sometimes well it no it's not impossible for me to answer that I, it's sometimes i prefer like a short game i'm like i want a game i can get through in six hours and just experience the whole thing yeah and some days I'll be like, I want a game I can just throw myself into for hundreds of hours mm -hmm. and just spend a long time playing. So sometimes I'm playing a game like, uh, fuck, what is it, Oxenfree? Where I'm uh -huh. like, yeah, you can get through that game in about three or four hours. Uh, it's just a story. It's just a little story adventure game. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes I'm like, I want to play Disgaea, where you can level grind up to level 9,999 and then reincarnate to one to store your levels elsewhere and just play that forever. Uh -huh. uh, so I don't have a strong preference towards one over the other in the long term. Uh -huh. Yeah, I kind of get what you're saying with a mood, because sometimes I'm like, I played, you know, because... Uh, I'm trying to think of what exactly it was, but I feel like I played like Fire Emblem Three Houses and s some other game, uh, like two or three games in a row that were all kind of like really long. And I was just kind of like, I want something that I don't have to like get totally invested in for, for a long term thing. Um, and not that any of these games were bad, but it was just kind of like, I, I need a break from, you know, the it's it's almost mentally straining sometimes when you're in in these long games but at the same time i also really personally just really like long games better uh if i can get into this sort of thing for four hours ten hours why can't i get into it for a hundred um you know and it doesn't necessarily have to be that long because i feel like 40 hours i would call a long game uh you know that, that, that could almost be its own whole separate topic. How long is a long game? Um, but I kind of think, f like, 40 hours is, like, long. Uh, 100 hours is, like, super long, maybe. I don't I don't know where the distinctions would lie there. But, uh, you know, m in general, like, if you can hold my attention for 40 hours, I think you've done something fucking amazing. And I, I remember, you know, games that are that long maybe not better but but differently they they stick out in a different way and they stick out more often i feel like um maybe just because i kind of got used to them more uh 
something like that. I don't know. But, uh, like, Final Fantasy, I've been playing a long-ass time. Most Final Fantasy games probably fit that 40-hour bill, or pretty close to it, huh? I guess maybe some of the classic ones are probably shorter, but, you know. They were still long for the time, so I'll call them long. Um, but, yeah, like, Final Fantasy IV was a really long game for Super Nintendo standards. Um, and that's one of my favorite games of all time. Um, uh, it's weird. I feel like Zelda is my favorite... Um, series but it's maybe the exception to the rule because most zelda games aren't that long like twilight princess and skyward sword i think are the only like 40 hour games in the series really if you're if you're just gonna go through the main story which 90 percent of the time when i do a zelda game that's what i do um but like yeah everything else i'm just like yeah i want a giant open world to explore for infinite hours in morrowind i want uh you know tons and tons of extra content that I just get sucked into in uh, Octopath Traveler, Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I feel like uh, really still, like, even though I kind of complained about it a little, I feel like it was, you know, more fun to me because it kept me playing for 120 fucking hours just to do the story. You know, in the ending, I was just like, what the hell is even going on? I'm not totally sure, but it's, you know, the battle system's fun, and it's got more to do with the world building, so sure, whatever, I'll grind it out. Cool. <laughs> this is the creamiest beer that I have ever had. What were you drinking again there? Uh, so it's called Getting Tiki With It. It's a... Pina Colada wheat beer. Left hand. Yeah, left hand. Um, they make lots of good stuff. Um, yeah, you've had left hand milk stout on a few times, haven't you? Yes. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, definitely. It's it's pretty good. Um, it's a lot of uh, coconut forward. It's I'm not getting as much of the pineapple flavor um, that would be expected in a pina colada, but it's, it's just like stupidly creamy and coconut. And I'm just like, you know what? That's all right. I, I am fine with this. This is a easy drinking, um, you know, good sessionable thing. Mm. It's so creamy. And the, the, the mouthfeel is like really light, which makes it almost feel more creamy. Um, it's 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 kind of hard to describe just how creepy it's like drinking fucking liquid silk but not in the way that i described a stout as being liquid silk because that was like you know chewy liquid silk this is like watery liquid silk that doesn't make any fucking sense does it it's thinner <laughs> it is yeah it's it's, um, not, it's not nearly so creamy yeah um it's well well it is is it is creamy it's it's got that texture but it's it's like a thin creamy which is that's where i'm having the trouble here i'm like it's it's like closer to water consistency than like most of the things that i describe as cream because most of the time if i have something on nitro it's like a darker beer uh i feel like you don't get as many of the 
I, like like I said, I don't think I've ever had a nitro wheat beer before. I don't think I've ever had anything this light on nitro before. Most of the time, if you get a nitro, it's like a stout or uh, something fairly dark or sometimes an IPA. I've had nitro IPAs, uh, but this one is like, it's just a totally different beast. It's, it's pretty good. Um, I'm going to give that a fucking, it's a 14. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. all right yeah so um longer video games um so generally i like them better you don't have any specific one way or the other um there, yeah it's uh i've had just as many good experiences with games that have taken me like five to 15 hours as i have with like games i put hundreds of hours in Right. It's just it's just a matter of what the game does in that time. Oh. I think there is a certain point where if you spend like 30 minutes on a game, uh, it probably doesn't stick with you in the same way. Right. Like Mighty Jill Off, as fine as as much of a game as that is, I played that for like an hour and you can get through that game on normal mm. and hard in an hour mm. and then just be done with it. Right. Uh, and I'm like that's I'm like that's a fun game, but then you're done with it. You don't you don't really think about it so much anymore. Yeah. Um. That's kind of where I am with like basically anything under ten hours. Is I'm just like most of the time if it's under that time, I'm also just like I don't usually want to replay it too, which is weird because it's like, oh, I could replay it and it wouldn't take me nearly as long as replaying Ocarina of Time, nearly as long as replaying Breath of the Wild for the fourth time, you know. You know, I'm, I've played like 250 hours into Breath of the Wild because of, you know, multiple playthroughs and stuff, but I'm like, I would easily go back and put another 100 hours into that before I would do some games that I've done for like, you know, I'd, I'm more likely to go put another 100 hours into Breath of the Wild than I am to ever replay Celeste. Not that Celeste was bad. I might replay it at some point. Uh, but it's like... Celeste is an interesting example to me. Uh -huh. Because Celeste is another game I've come back to uh, and tried to play the B-sides of, which is mm. its own uh, special hell, I would right. say. Okay. Yeah, I haven't done any of that, and I don't have any, like, major volition to do so. I, at some point, I might just have a wild hair be like, yeah, sure, I'll play Celeste again. That'll be fine. Um, uh, that's another thing that I'm, I'm just partially not really huge into platformers. Like, I love Donkey Kong, and that's it's about it. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. I, I still haven't beat Tropical Freeze. I wonder how long that game is, right? <laughs> Because if you're good at platformers, that's probably not a very long game, but I've probably put more time into it than a lot of people because I'm but not very good at it. you're playing with a kid. Not always. Like, even on my own file, I still haven't beat it. But, yeah, it, it certainly doesn't always help to have a six-year-old on your team. Because <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> then every time you die, you lose two lives instead of one. <laughs> Donkey Kong multiplayer is a double-edged sword. Uh, 
That, yeah, that might have something to hmm. do with it. Well, that's like about the one platforming series that I really love. Like, I like Mario. It's fine. I like Mega Man is kind of a platformer. I really suck at Mega Man. Um, Mega Man is kind of... Mega Man's another weird thing, because it's like not quite Metroidvania, but it's not quite a platformer platformer. Mega Man's just kind of Mega Man. Not very good at Sonic. I've never beat a Sonic game except for Sonic Adventure. Sonic Adventure was good. Sonic Adventure, I always just... Sonic Adventure is a funny one because I always just think of the, uh... Tails, watch out, you're gonna crash. Ah! <laughs> Which is, uh... That's a funny one. That's one I'd like to replay. If I ever find a GameCube copy of that, maybe I'll buy it or something. Uh, or if they ever remaster that. There's been, like, rumor... I, f I feel like there's a rumor of them remastering every video game ever for Switch. Somebody has rumored it at some point. No matter what game you think, you know, how obscure it is, somebody's probably rumored it. It's so weird how rumors for Switch work. It's just, like, everything is rumored for Switch. Like, the from the moment Switch was announced, people have been talking about the Metroid Prime trilogy and Skyward Sword coming to Switch and stuff like that. And I'm just like... Maybe, sure, whatever, but, I mean, why is this such a circulated rumor for, you know, over the course of three and a half fucking years, and it's still not there? Uh, just people want it. Yeah. That's, that's why they're circulating. Like, the, probably. <laughs> the Final Fantasy remake, uh, rumors had been circulating for more than a decade. Hmm. To, to put that in perspective. Yeah. Anywho, um, do we have anything to say about longer video games to uh, kind of uh, sum up here? Uh, I think I ran out of worthwhile things to say. Uh, so unless you have anything... Not specific, so uh, we'll go to our uh, table topic now. Um, so, kind of on the same vein, um, longer campaigns versus shorter campaigns, uh, particularly like big extended epic adventures or one-shots. Uh, it's kind of the two extremes of D&D &D campaigns, which we, we could get into the this and that's, you know, that's another thing we could do, you know, another time, like I was saying, with video games, you know, what's a long game, what's a long campaign, you know. Because I feel like, in general, our group makes campaigns that are open-ended that don't necessarily have an end. That are just kind of there and will permanently be there and you'll permanently have that world and have something to do in it almost in every campaign that our group has ever played. We've only really ended one campaign in the 12 years I've been playing D&D &D with you? Uh, I guess what I would say about that is I think uh, longer campaigns always require more of multiple people's time, so mm. you can only have so many. Right. That's just the nature of the beast. 
Um, so yeah, uh, what do you think of one-shots? Do you do a lot of one-shots, uh, with other groups? Because I know you play some amount other than this. Um, do you do much one-shotting? And, and we have done some one-shotting with our group as well, but... Uh, I've done a number of one-shots, uh, with other groups. Usually other people run them, and I've had... I've had fun with them. Mm -hmm. I feel like they're a good way to try out new ideas. Mm -hmm. Um... But one shots typically, uh, they're they don't. To contrast what I said about video games, one shots usually I don't get invested in them in the same way that I would yeah. get invested in the campaign. Uh, so I think the real trick is to have one shots to try new things, mm -hmm. but to have campaigns to get invested in. Mm -hmm. Um. I think one thing that's worth trying, neither a one-shot or a campaign, would be like a mini-campaign. A campaign with like a planned ending or like a collapse, an end-game state that will run over like three to five sessions. Right. I think that would be something worth trying so that you do get more invested, but it ends. Yeah, so um, I guess we might have to define one-shot then, because we've had one shots in our group that were like one shots but they weren't a single session they were you know they were four or five sessions even though it's one adventure that just happens to take especially like at a, a high level one shot or something like that where it's like combat might just take like forever i have chicken nuggets now uh-huh everybody else suck it i got chicken nuggets you got none I'm kidding. But you can share. Advantage of life. I'm not going over there to get that. Here, eat it through the camera. We it's we're we're on a computer, so I can send it in bytes. That. Uh, I have to drink for that joke. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I think you might just might. <laughs> well, as long as I got this scorpion pepper sauce. See how it is on chicken nuggets. Mixing in with a little bit of the ranch here that's on the dip. That's not as bad. I, I actually don't taste it at all. I might have stirred it into a little too much. There's not very much ranch on here, I would have thought. Well, there's a little heat coming. Anyway. What was I talking about? Yeah, because anyways, we were doing one shots with... um, My brother made a one shot. Um, Dan. And um, you played with us. Um... And it was like a one-shot, level 20, um, what-if scenario of, like, <laughs> when he explained this premise to me, I was like, this is such a bad fanfic, it's hilarious. <laughs> but um, the premise is, Lord Voldemort takes over Hogwarts Castle, and uh, we have to break in and, and kill Voldemort. <laughs> Why was not, I not there? Because you didn't like level 20 D&D? But why wasn't I invited or at I, least offered? I mean, you know, mm, I feel like this. You is were in the room when we were playing. Still there. I was probably. When was this? I don't know. Last year sometime. I was 2016. Like, this was 2016. 2016? Holy yeah, that was 2016. Shit, that's a long time ago. Wow. But I swear we were in this I house. I was in the room. 
That maybe I wasn't in the room. Maybe I was in the in the you know working my job, huh? Or something, or maybe. taking care of the kids. If you're going to come on the podcast some more, you're going to have to drink. I'm not. Well, do you think I like it? Maybe it's creamy and coconutty. You like coconut? I, I don't know what that. If that's. I don't know if that's uh, what the question was about. But, uh, Apparently my wife doesn't like this as much uh, from her wabadoo, um, which apparently is your response. Anywho, so yeah, that was like, it was a one shot, but it still took several sessions just because of level 20 combat and all that shit. So, is that kind of what you're thinking, or are you thinking something that would be more involved than one dungeon? I'm thinking of something that would be more involved in one dungeon, more like, uh, more like a mini adventure with with something with a defined end goal, but that's planned to run for a shorter period of time. Uh-huh. Uh, but granted, a lot of one shots end up being more like five or six shots, so they end up being more the mini campaign that I'm talking about. Right. Kind of depends on what. And then sometimes you're like, okay, yeah, let's springboard those characters into another one shot, right? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. So I'd also like, yeah, that would also be a nice thing is to have a, not a campaign, but a string of having the same character where you have like a string of, con- of uh, adventures that you can just be like, all right, pull out this group of characters for these adventures at this time. Right. Uh, which, I guess, that is technically a campaign, but it's not a campaign in the sense of having a continuous like adventure yeah. going on. It's like... Uh, it's like Friends, where every episode is different and completely unconnected, instead of How I Met Your Mother, where it's a large overarching story. To put yes. it in sitcom and there was like some overarching story that in was, Friends. That but was for the most part. It was analysis. like every episode has nothing to do with the others. Like some of the relationships would you come and go. And yeah. are wrong, sir. There was not nearly as much as How I Met Your Mother. This is true, but How I Met Your Mother is on a different plane than almost anything else. My analogy but, stands. But. <laughs> You picked the wrong show. <laughs> Try SpongeBob. <laughs> SpongeBob. There, SpongeBob. Yeah, uh, cartoons. Cartoons are kind of funny in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and SpongeBob, sure. But, uh... <laughs> right. But yeah, so, um,. I think one-shots really just don't invest you as much, because, like, I played actually a character that I had played in another campaign before in this one-shot. I just kind of took this concept that I had uh, kind of created, and I, I didn't get to play him in this other campaign for very long. It's like, maybe a few adventures, and then we... That campaign was... Our, our group also has campaign ADD, so we're playing a different campaign almost every week. Except for lately, I've just somehow become the DM because I'm the guy who decided to pay attention and figure out how the fuck to make campaigns work in Roll20 because we're in quarantine. But 
other than that, we have like Chris will DM one week and I'll DM the next week and this guy will come in. This guy, you know, we'll do all sorts of wacky stuff and I'll even DM, you know, multiple different campaigns that I have kind of running within our group. Um, what was I talking about? Anyways, uh, so th this was one of those campaigns that we were playing and that we played for a few sessions and then it just kind of got by the wayside with all the other stupid campaigns that we played. Um, and I kind of really liked that character and I wanted to bring him forward and especially I really liked the build that I was going for because he was like this charge guy. He was like have two lances and he would be mounted so he'd get extra damage on criticals and stuff and uh just his whole build was about charging and impaling as many enemies as possible on his lances as he's riding by and it was a really really awesome fun build to play and i had this cool story where uh basically he was a kind of this military guy and i sort of spun the story as like a half-and-half half mix of Two-Face and Judge Dredd, where I was like, I am the law, and I will uphold the law, but there are these times when the law gets ambiguous, and then I'm gonna flip my coin, and if it says heads, I'm gonna fucking kill you. And if it says tails, then okay, I don't know the law. Because the ultimate law is chaos. Chance. So it was this really kind of awesome character to play and i i brought him into this campaign and i uh actually built another character for one of the other players that was my mount which was a sentient triceratops and so i would fucking ride into battle on a goddamn triceratops that was awesome um and he would do his abilities in addition to what i could do because wherever he rode i could stab stuff along the way because i had like ride by attack so wherever he's going i'm just like yeah i'll impale that guy on our way impale that guy on our way cleave to that guy get that guy you know all this kind of thing and he would like trample was most of what he did especially when we got into big groups he's like i'm gonna trample over like you know 40 guys and i'm gonna stab like everybody that's just outside of the trample area is gonna get stabbed and my criticals are so fucking ridiculous that we would just basically like a uh, 20 foot square patch for as long as he could move which i think double his movement was like 100 feet so basically 20 feet by 100 feet was whatever was in there was pretty much dead statistically in most camp in, in most uh scenarios but because it was a one shot i pretty much didn't get to role play him it was all combat because that's kind of how one-shots are. It's like, you're in this scenario, and maybe there's a little bit of role-play here and there, but the role-play is really, really de-emphasized in this kind of thing. And even if it is there, it's like, who cares, right? Your, your character's going to be gone in, you know, a few hours when you're done with the campaign. The, it, it almost felt like, at points, what's even the point of role-playing in this scenario? Why don't we just go for the most possible damage? So there is a uh, so, and and I'm I'm gonna preface this here because I have to because I'm the only person who would bring this up in the first place. Uh, there is a thing: role-playing games are not are interactive. They are not a story. They are a game, and that players get to their choices matter. They get to make decisions, and those decisions get to have consequences. 
But what I would say is the kind of thing I would look want to look for is uh, maybe a campaign with story arcs. One starts, one ends. Um, where in not necessarily in the exact story arc way that a show would have, but in that you have a defined beginning and end, but the same characters proceed on. So more like mm-hmm. trying to think. Yeah, story arcs is as close as I can come to the concept I'm trying to get behind here. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. That that could definitely uh, do some pretty cool stuff. Because I'm thinking of, like, One Piece story arcs, um, which there's a fuckload of. Because <laughs> One Piece is so fucking long. But, um, yeah, because you, you kind of get into, like, what's going on in the story here. And then it goes to a different thing and then it goes to a different thing and those are all over the course of you know several adventures usually uh you know a couple of adventures that are you know within one kind of arc and then there's this big arc around all of them that's kind of connecting them all uh and in a good D D campaign i feel like that kind of thing definitely happens where it's like um okay and the story arcs probably aren't as long as they are in like One Piece, because the story arcs in One Piece are, you know, 50 episodes or something. That's actually pretty long for, for any show or or whatever. Uh, in, in a good campaign, I feel like it's like maybe a few sessions is your story arc where you're kind of like, okay, here's this bad guy and he's doing this stuff, but you can't get to him. You have to track him down or you have to go through some you know, political mumbo-jumbo to actually do anything, or you can choose to just murder him even though it's illegal, but you'll put an end to the bad stuff he's doing, uh, you know, or, or different stuff like that. And then once you're done with that, okay, here's the next arc. Now there's another, you know, kind of a bad guy or a MacGuffin that you have to track down. You, you know, something else is, at, again, at stake, yeah. So I think that's a good way to generally handle campaigns. I do a little bit of that, because uh, I, I, I kind of, like, introduce you to the idea of what I think is happening in the campaign right now, and then based on what the players do, I come up with what happens next for the next session. So, to me, almost every session is maybe a micro-story arc, and then uh, you get kind of bigger story arcs through several sessions and then there's a big big picture that almost never comes through because we don't stick with my campaigns for long enough because we have campaign ADD. Uh, and I think the idea behind it is that the, the idea behind what I'm saying is uh, you when you finish off a story arc you can drop that game for a while and just be uh, fine with it. Like it's you don't have a set, necessarily a set ending, right? Uh, and because you don't, nece- or you don't have a nest, you because you don't have need to have a necessary thorough line throughout the entire set of adventures. A player can accomplish a goal and like get a conclusion off, and you can just stop playing for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can feel like, but you can feel free to invest in those characters because there's a good chance he'll come back to them. Yeah. Um, so, switching gears back to one-shots real quick. Um, like I kind of said, 
the biggest downside of one shots is the uh, role play is murdered, in my opinion. Uh, do you think there's any way to make a one shot that can have meaningful role play that uh, characters will or players will remember very much after you know a, a little while that can but stick with you as much as an extended campaign role play can? Yes, uh, probably not in a compact, very compact centric uh, uh, one shot like the one shot we were playing with your brother. Mm -hmm. But I've played in plenty of Call of Cthulhu uh, one shots or uh, like other horror game one shots where a lot of what's involved is just fucking talking to people. Right. Um, and you tend to get a lot of time to express the character. And maybe there's like some horrific stuff that happens mm -hmm. at the climax. Yeah. Uh, but that kind of makes sense. Typically, you get a lot more time to just have inter-party interactions or just like, like impress upon the guy running the game just how much of an asshole your character is or whatever. Mm -hmm. So one thing I would say to that is I've kind of tried to design a one-shot in some somewhat of a similar vein with a little bit of a horror uh, kind of a motif to it. Um, but what I've kind of come to find is I feel like it's very difficult to design that much meaningful content to create an entire good session worth of gameplay without adding in uh, a reasonable amount of combat. Um, and I've got to the point in designing some campaigns like this that I've kind of come up with these kind of concepts where I'm like, this would be a really cool thing, but it's like, it's not necessarily appropriate for this campaign, so I'll just maybe design it as a one-shot, and I've started doing that, and then I'm just like, I feel like I just don't have enough content to make it worth actually playing, and I don't feel like combat is the kind of content that will add to it. So I've kind of had this sort of mental discussion with myself, like what you just said, but... I feel like it's, like, is there a good way to go from this idea where you're, like, you want to be a roleplay-heavy uh, thing, but you don't have enough content? Um, like, where do you, how do you come up with con uh, I, I don't know if you've actually written these or if you're just using other people's one-shots, too. I guess that would be part of the question there. Uh, but, um, uh, and how do I they go about it to make... Uh, enough meaningful content that all kind of relates back to itself. Because uh, I, I feel like with me, I'm kind of like, I can make this other relating, this other content, but it won't necessarily relate, especially when it comes to combat versus roleplay, where I'm like, yeah, I, I could put in a I combat section here, but it's not what I want to go for. I feel like when you're doing like a more roleplay heavy thing, if you're focusing on like the NPCs a player would interact with, and the situation they're in with NPCs, I would probably say just remember what their goals are. Uh, pick out like maybe if you, this is more preparation than I do. Mm -hmm. Know what their goals are, kind of like like their general role in life, and then maybe like a speech pattern, right? And like a very broad brush personality, like two or three words. Mm -hmm. 
and then you have a character and you can just look at that when they run into this person and you can improvise with them. Right. Because to an extent, that's kind of how I, you know, create characters. But at the same time, I've kind of tried to create these. The the particular situation I was trying to create in a one-shot was like a very roleplay-heavy one-shot uh, that kind of put the players in awkward positions where, like, they could make one decision and it would lead to different bad stuff than the other decision to kind of give them this split where it's like, okay, this decision is wrong and this decision is wrong and now we have to pick which one is left wrong. But obviously you can't just, like, that can't be the whole campaign. So I'm like, okay, so I'll lead them into finding this climax. That'll be kind of the climax here, but they'll do that through detective work with various different things. And I'm just like, to an extent, I feel like if it's this guy leads to this guy leads to this guy leads to this guy, that gets boring. Uh, and if there's a chain of them, then I feel like, uh, you know, these guys can lead to each other or this, 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 that first of all, it's a little bit of a pain to really figure out who goes, leads to where. And second of all, it ends up being like a fair amount of prep for most of these characters will never get used and they'll inevitably you know find the way that they're supposed to go somewhat easily and it's i feel like that's a really difficult thing to like this sort of detective work uh is really difficult to program into your campaign uh where they're kind of going to the eventual end goal but with steps in between without you know making it too obvious and I'm, 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 I have not done, like, an investigative scenario mm -hmm. myself. I've seen investigative scenarios run. Mm -hmm. uh, one was uh, one that he wrote himself and the rest were Call of Cthulhu scenarios. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've had fun playing through those, but it's uh, usually it's, you never... The, the main frustration is, oh, you didn't succeed the skill check... You don't get to know what's what. You never really find out what's going on, or we get frustrated and start blowing shit up. Mm -hmm. Like later in the session, we're like, okay, we've been talking to people for hours, mm -hmm. and or, and now we're like at a dead end. Let's just explode these guys' heads because they seem like the bad guys. <laughs> right. Uh, so investigations. Uh, tricky one for me. I know there's games that have tried to work on doing it in a prep light way, like uh, I think it was Gumshoe. Hmm. The Gumshoe system. Uh, but I'm not particularly good at those. I was thinking more um, diplomacy scenarios or scenarios where uh Let's think of, like, I'm just thinking of, even in, say, a show where there's a lot of fighting, mm -hmm. usually, um, usually there's, like, one or two fights in an episode, and they last a few minutes. Mm -hmm. And then everything else is people talking and figuring shit out. That's a funny generalization because I'm trying to think of like fight heavy shows that I watch and I'm just like that are that are not DBZ. DBZ is <laughs> right. Yeah, because again, my mind went to One Piece and I'm like, 
fights in that show are like really variable because sometimes you'll have like a one episode fight and sometimes you'll have like five people are fighting at once and it's like here's five minutes of this guy fighting 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 and that's the whole episode and then they'll have like 10 of those episodes in a row and you're just like what's going on and and they're still doing that anime kind of thing where they they are still you know talking within the fights and thinking to themselves oh i gotta beat this guy i gotta come up with a clever strategy you know that stuff but that's like but then yeah other other shows i can i can i feel like that's an anime thing to to take that long uh, other shows like the I mean, funny thing the marvel about- shows and shit you know that's not not quite as bad the funny thing about those is um is a lot of shonen has like the character interaction happen in the fights mm-hmm. so yeah that's where characters happen in shonen that's how that works <laughs> yeah all the characterization happens mm-hmm. not in the uh you know, maybe a little bit outside, depending on, you know, what else goes on. But, yeah, like, most of it is just, like, their clever way of, you know, dealing with this fight and overcoming the thing. Unless it's DBZ, in which case it's just like, oh, I'll just use another Super Saiyan form. I'll invent another one and pull it out of my ass and, and uh, defeat this yeah. guy here. Oh, I'm thinking, of, like, My Hero <laughs> Academia, where yeah, anytime anything happens in that show, it's people are having, like, conversations while they're fighting yeah uh that's a good example too because like i'm only uh 13 episodes in or something um and like yeah most of deku's character is like uh after a like he's kind of got a lot of these out of combat kind of things in the first few episodes where it's kind of establishing his character where he's like, you know, can't be a superhero and, and, and all this. And then he kind of thinks, you know, he's, he still pushes for it outside of combat and stuff like that. So you get a little bit outside of that, but after, you know, a certain point, it's like, okay, everything is in character in combat now or in the combat like scenario of whatever school challenge thing they're doing. And he's like, Oh, I'll use my power only in my fingertip. Oh, I'll use my power to blow up the roof and not the guy. Cause I don't need to beat the guy to beat this challenge. Uh-huh. You know, and stuff like that. Yeah. <clears throat> That's uh, a lot of what, Mm-hmm. what I like about that sh- particular show. Yeah. I think that's generally a thing that I like about um, Shonen is just how they kind of show characterization and and also, you know, the just weird, clever ways that... Because it, it, it takes a certain kind of writing to kind of, you know, be able to come up with, first of all, this wacky-ass scenario... And then second of all, this wacky-ass solution to this wacky-ass scenario that theoretically the character is coming up with on the fly. And uh, depending on which character it is, the, you know, they'll solve it in a totally different way maybe. You know, like if you're, if you're looking at your, you know, like obviously Deku would solve it in a different way than Ochaku and I don't remember half their names. Yeah, Ochaku just like beat the shit out of it. Yeah. And, uh, but, like, One Piece, you know, you'd have different ways, like, probably Luffy and Zoro and Sanji would all beat the shit out of it, but, uh, you know, then you've got your Chopper and Nami and, 
Usopp that would, you know, try and circumvent it in a different way or uh, come up with a clever solution to do it instead of just, you know, a new battle technique that's really cool, uh, which is kind of what the other guys do because that's how Shonen works. So We've been over that, so... Anyways, yeah. uh, any last thoughts on extended campaigns versus one shot? Uh, I think the line is blurred. Can, based on what I've said, just like video games, the, uh, or just based on what you said about video games last time, is the line is blurrier than we think, and there's a lot of ways of having your cake and eating it too. Yeah. Um. So again, generally, I enjoy extended campaigns better, but. Uh, one shots can be fun. Uh, it's a it definitely a different mindset that you go into, and uh, just I wish there were better ways to implement role playing into one shots uh, that were more generally used because th they can happen. You can have good role play in one shots, but for me, it it just doesn't happen as much. And that's the thing that I like more about RPGs is the role play rather than the you know, strictly what's... Yeah. And not to say that I, I, I certainly have an affinity for the tactical thinking and everything that goes into the actual gameplay and all that, but, uh, yeah. That's just how it is. Uh, all right, and that brings us to the end of the podcast, so thank you for joining us. My name is Sean Michael Patrick Thompson, as always, your host of Drink to the Past, and uh, still have some beer left, so I'll have to get on that. Hmm. You can drink along at home if you'd like. I don't have my drink sign. It's under my printer. I moved my printer, so now it's on top of there, because now I got two monitors, so I had to move my printer from where my... so I could put in a monitor. I don't feel like getting my drink sign, so I'll have to drink. And this is my glorious-ish clo-host. Clo-host? Hi, I'm Christopher. This podcast went on for two and a half hours. Oops, not quite that long. We're just under two hours right now. You can find my writings on uh, Drive Through RPG. I have written House of Flowers as a D&D-ish compatible adventure. You can use that with every system of D&D except for, you know, uh, Fourth Edition, uh, with with some conversion effort on your part. Uh, we've me and my co-author, who starred on this uh, podcast a few times, uh, also wrote together. Five Cataclysms Core Rules Beta Edition. Uh, you can also pick that up for free. Pay what you want. Uh, we are still working on that off and on. Uh, you can also you should also pick up m many of his excellent adventures, which are also D and ish compatible. And uh, but you got to pay a, just a little bit of money for those. Uh, I highly recommend them. Uh, I think that about does it for me. Yeah, and uh, of course you can find me as always on Twitter at spamomanospam and on uh, Two Guys Playing Zelda. I write uh, various articles. Haven't been writing as much lately. Um, not a lot of us have. Um, it's been a weird ass time with video games and things happening. But um, hopefully I'll get back into uh, something. I had an article that I was working on a while ago. Maybe I'll get back in. Anyway, um, check out twoguysplayingzilla.com. Anyways, lots of good, uh, cool stuff. Uh, they post videos. They have another podcast that we're at war with. Remember that? In theory. Yeah, right. Uh, we were at war with them for one episode, and then we forgot about it the next episode, and then the episode after that, we're like, oh, yeah, we're at war. Uh, so, yeah, we're totally at war until 
they declare a ceasefire. Uh, so check out Busted Buttons on your other podcast platforms as well. Um, and if you're interested, you can uh, find us on other podcast platforms. We are, of course, on YouTube. Podbean. That's the thing. I was like, what the fuck's it called? Uh, yeah. And Apple Podcasts. And Apple Podcasts. So, yeah, check us out on those mediums, whichever you prefer. And uh, give us a good rating, uh, like, and share so everybody else can join in the fun. And now for the last part of the podcast where we just talk about random inane bullshit until somebody says something really strange, awkward, or otherwise. And at that point, I will cut off the podcast and you'll have like a really, really weird tidbit to just kind of linger on. So well, I was, uh, I w- I was going to say um, also, because I, I forgot this in What You Playing, because I haven't really played it, but uh, I did get Carbine Jungle, and that's kind of an interesting system. Uh, we had Chance on here last year sometime. Uh, he's a cool guy. Uh, came on uh, talking about... Actually, that was that was this year. That was earlier. That was in, like, April. Um, that was before this... Uh... <laughs> yeah, uh, that... briefly before the whole world shut down because uh I, I guess his episode was probably in march sometime because i think the kickstarter went live in april was the thing um so their mission decks were fully backed so that's good um and uh, i'll let you guys know how that goes once i get my mission deck because i was one of the backers on there and um yeah so i i downloaded carbine jungle and i've been looking through it a little bit it's uh it's a really interesting uh system it's got lots of different things that you can do for a sort of a sci-fi campaign but it looks like you could like easily enough like be like okay yeah it's it's just high fantasy just take out the you know space bits or something uh so it it seems like it's relatively uh highly functioning but generally geared towards like um almost a mix of high fantasy and um uh sci-fi because like i'm kind of the way that i go about reading rpg books is i like start designing a character and i'm just like okay this guy sounds cool and like there's different races like you know it sounds like space elves and space humans and i'm a space ent which is cool because like tree folk are badass i'm like dude i want to be a space ent I did give their uh, free version a look-see oh, for a little bit, cool. uh, and I was like, I, the, I remember reading the thing about their Greek letter type characters and being like, oh fuck, I, now my idea is it's going to look like I stole that idea from them, <laughs> uh, which was kind of a funny thought to have. Right. Uh, but yeah, they're... Uh, They uh, look like they're doing a cool thing. Yeah. Um, I haven't got too invested into the uh, system yet, but uh, from what I'm looking at so far, it's like, okay, you can do lots of neat, cool stuff. Um, So I'm hoping to look through the rest of the book uh, here soon-ish and just kind of get an idea for how the system works. Maybe I'll run a session of it or something, or I don't know. Um, Yeah, and I'd I'd have to look through the book to... Yeah, to make totally sure. I I know they tend to have the scale where it's like, like regular person up to like galaxy shattering entity, which is yeah. also what I was going to use that scale for for a more different focused game. So, uh, if you guys are listening to that, I did not steal that from you. We came up with the idea independently. You just came up with it like 
years earlier than I did. <laughs> right. Uh, and eventually, maybe we'll put it into our RPG book, and then we'll be competitors. Oh, 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 if you ever get around to the formatting. Yeah, formatting is... Formatting's a bitch. <laughs> but that's okay, you know. Um, other than that, we need to do a lot of playtesting anyway, so I was thinking that maybe we'd do a yeah. playtesting session on here on the podcast. Uh, sometimes that's not a bad idea kind of cool i was thinking uh it might be kind of interesting to have like one of us as gm and the other one will play like four characters uh and if we're doing it that way are we implying that our system should support that sure i mean i mean it should it should not be hard to do that the system is very simple yeah it is anyways and i feel like if uh like there shouldn't be any necessary reason that you limit one player to one character. Um, obviously, most RPGs, that's just how it works, and that's fine. But, like, in theory, you shouldn't, like, be bogged down by it. Like, in theory, like any RPG, you should be able to just make two characters and roll with them, right? So Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I view it. Uh, so I thought that might be an interesting... Uh, one-shot podcast or something uh where one of us will make a one-shot campaign and the other one will play through it as uh four characters or or, or it doesn't matter really what number but a, a few different kind of characters uh just to get a an idea for how this system works uh i think that would be kind of neat uh, for people to kind of look at the system and be like oh yeah that, that works yeah. like that that's kind of cool that'll also let me test out some of the character generation balance things that to see uh-huh yeah because so, yeah. uh we've done a f- handful of times at like low levels and it works great at there but we've really never exceeded like level three in our <laughs> play testing so there's a lot of room for error above that so yeah it's it's definitely something we need to you know iron out if there is an issue above which by the numbers it seems like it should be relatively contiguous throughout every level but it's like is there going to be a point of diminishing returns should we cap the level because of that should we tweak it i would i would say we should introduce and and this i did just think of this just now okay just right here um podcast exclusive I would say that we should make it so that we say when you make a character, uh, once you're just give a default amount of HP at a level and say when uh, on top of the points we give, and then we say uh, you your highest stat cannot be this far away from your lowest stat. So like level plus five or something it can't be more than level plus five points away from your lowest stat right or like plus 10 or whatever so that yeah uh, some sort of formula depending on how all that works i we'd have to figure out the formula exactly to, uh yeah because yeah that that makes sense because that that's the one issue that we've almost kind of run into is because one guy decided to make one punch man more or less uh, but he made him with, like, no defenses, so his one punch was his ability, and it was the most powerful punch that could ever happen, and 
he killed every target that he ever attacked because he was so good at hitting and he did so much damage that he would punch people and they would die. But he also had shit for hit points and no defenses. So the first time anything hit him, he died. So, which, I mean, if you're going to do that sort of a glass cannon at first level, then maybe we should let you. I don't know. But, uh, uh, yeah. I I think I think when you design a game like that, you should say, we put this limit in place. But because it's your game and you're playing it, you can remove it. Just here, right, yeah, we should can. say why we put when we put a limit in place. We should say why we put a limit in place. Because yeah. part of the uh, kind of idea of this system in general is to just be completely a hundred percent as customizable as it could possibly be, and I feel like we've almost achieved that. Uh, like I, I cannot fathom another RPG system as customizable as this. Uh, which maybe there's one out there, sure. But, uh, you know, Hero System is certainly close. Um, but Hero System is eight loads more complex. I would say Hero System is maybe as customizable or more customizable, but the complexity required to play a round of Hero System, uh, is not worth the trade-off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like Hero System is a kind of a weird beast because it's like, it really depends on your GM because if your GM is that kind of GM that's like, needs to design every last monster down to the most minute detail, then they're never going to get anywhere in Hero System because they're going to be designing monsters for, you know, forever. Or, or you know, bad guys or whatever they're designing. Uh, but if you have the kind of DM like me that's like fly by the seat of your pants, they can get the idea of it and just kind of wing it on the fly and make up interesting abilities and get the generic yeah. outline before the session and call it good. Uh, as long as the players are familiar enough with the system to make it work, and that'll work. Uh, so I, I think it's a decent system. I don't think it's... I think its biggest problem is for GMs like that that need to design every last thing in excruciating detail. I'm like, you should, uh, it sh you shouldn't need to design everything in excruciating detail. It should, yeah. some stuff should just be, uh, yeah, but anyways, yeah. Um, we're not talking about awkward shit. How'd that happen? Uh, yeah, instead we're talking about serious things, so, uh... What the fuck? Huh? I guess. We're, we're, we're talking about, like, system design. Instead of... Oh my god, are we fucking adults? Answer the question, Sean.